Hello there, my name is Thomas and I'm just sitting in Queen Mary's Rose Garden in Regent's Park, London. It's a very hot day, just past three o'clock and in case you're wondering, I'm in my mid-thirties. So what better opportunity than read out the section from Ian Fleming's You Only Live Twice. The state of your health, the state of the weather, the wonders of nature. These are things that rarely occupy the average man's mind until he reaches the middle thirties. It is only on the threshold of middle age that you don't take them all for granted, just part of an unremarkable background to more urgent, more interesting things. Until this year, James Bond had been more or less oblivious to all of them, apart from occasional hangovers and the mending of physical damage that was merely for him the extension of a child falling down and cutting its knee, he had taken good health for granted. The weather? Just a question of whether or not he had to carry a raincoat and put the hood up on his Bentley convertible. As for birds, bees and flowers, the wonders of nature, it only mattered whether or not they bit or stung, whether they smelled good or bad. But today, on the last day of August, just eight months as he reminded himself that morning since Tracy had died, he sat in Queen Mary's Rose Garden in Regent's Park, and his mind was totally occupied with just these things. First, his health. He felt like hell, and knew that he also looked it. For months without telling anyone, he had tramped Harley Street, Wigmore Street and Wimpole Street, looking for any kind of doctor who'd make him feel better. He had appealed to specialists, GPs, quacks, even to a hypnotherapist. He had told them, I feel like hell, I sleep badly, I eat practically nothing, I drink too much and my work has gone to blazes. I'm shot to pieces, make me better. And each man had taken his blood pressure, a specimen of his urine, listened to his heart and chest and asked some questions he had answered truthfully, and had told him there was nothing, basically, wrong with him. Then he had paid his five guineas and gone off to John Bell and Croydon to have the, the new lot of prescriptions with tranquilizers, sleeping pills, energizers, made up. And now he had just come from breaking off relations with a last resort. The hypnotist, whose basic message had been he must go out and regain his manhood by having a woman, as if he hadn't tried that. The ones who had told him to take it easy up the stairs, the ones that asked him to take them to Paris. The ones that had inquired indifferently, feeling better now, dearie? The hypnotist hadn't been a bad chap. Rather bore about how he could take away warts and how he was persecuted by the BMA. But Bond finally had enough of sitting in a chair and listening to the quietly droning voice while, as instructed, he relaxed and gazed at a naked electric light bulb. And now he had thrown up the fifty-guinea course after only half the treatment and had come to sit in this secluded garden before going back to his office ten minutes away across the park. He looked at his watch, just after three o'clock, and he was due back at 2.30. What the hell? God, it was hot. He wiped a hand across his forehead, then down the side of his trousers. He used not to sweat like this. The weather must be changing. Atomic bomb, whatever the scientists might say to the contrary. It would be good to get down somewhere in the south of France, somewhere to bathe whenever he wanted. But he had had his leave for the year, the ghastly month they had given him after Tracy. Then he'd gone to Jamaica, and what hell that had been? No. Bathing was not the answer. It was all right here, really. Lovely roses to look at. They smelled good and it was pleasant looking at them and listening to the faraway traffic. Nice hum of bees. The way they went around the flowers, doing their work for their queen. I must read that book by that Belgium chap, Messernich or something. Same man who wrote about the ants. Extraordinary purpose in life. They didn't have troubles, just lived and died. Did what they were supposed to and then dropped dead. 
Why didn't one see a lot of bees' corpses around? Ants' corpses? Thousands? Millions of them must die every day. Perhaps the others ate them. Oh well. Better to go back to the office. That reading is from the second chapter of You Only Live Twice, entitled Curtains for Bond. It's the 11th novel in Ian Fleming's James Bond series, first published in the UK on the 26th of March 1964. It's very unlike the, uh, the 67 movie starring Sean Connery. The book is filled with the theme of death and decay, and Bond is a very different character from how we normally see him in the movies. I feel the movies have drawn from the middle section of Fleming's novel series, uh, as Bond kind of has reached his apogee already. The early books are rarely Fleming finding the perfect formula. He finds it, he runs with it, and then he starts experimenting with it. This book really has a lot of death and decay in its themes. Rarely, I'd say this hasn't been touched on until the most recent film, No Time to Die. But this book... You Only Live Twice was published in 1964, which is the same year as Ian Fleming's death. The book was published in March, and he would have a heart attack in the August of the same year, dying in the early morning of the following day, his son Casper's 12th birthday. I always looked at that as uh, very much tied together, that his death and the nature of the novel were very, very close. And yet, in the same year, he published Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, <laughs> The first volume was published on the 22nd of October, and then the second volume uh, on November, the 3rd of January the following year, and then 68, the three volumes were all published together. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the book written for his son Casper, where Fleming said, Never say no to adventures, always say yes, otherwise you'll lead a very dull life. And he gives those words to the British Royal Navy commander, Pot, who liked 007, and like Fleming himself, loves scrambled eggs. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between the book characters, uh, Pot and Bond. Of course, that's Pot in the book as opposed to Pots in the film. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang indulges Fleming's passion for food, like you only live twice, uh, with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang having a recipe for fudge and notes on the differences between British jam and French jam, which I uh, couldn't resist making jam and try it out myself. The fudge, by the way, is very, very, very sugary. <laughs> the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, again, was very, very loosely based on Ian Fleming's book with a screenplay written by Roald Dahl, like You Only Live Twice, and they were both produced by uh, Albert R. Cubby Broccoli. The movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang starred Dick Van Dyke, who of course is a non-Navy veteran and he's an American, and you have Sally Ann Howes as truly scrumptious, an additional character who's not in Fleming's novel. Um, she essentially replaces Pot's wife Mimsy in the book. Uh, in the film, Mimsy has apparently died. Um, the filmmakers wanted to add that romantic plotline, which I think is a shame, considering Fleming's portrayal of the happy, mature marriage, very unlike his Bond adventures and reportedly very unlike his own marriage, so maybe that happy relationship between Pot and Mimsy is Fleming's most escapist wish-fulfillment fantasy. Two actors from the Bond franchise were involved in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Desmond Llewellyn, who played Q 17 times, opposite five Bond actors, and Gert Froeber, who was of course famous as Goldfinger. They played the part of the, uh, the scrap dealers. <laughs> the film You Only Live Twice was released in 1967, and I say is also with a screenplay by children's author Roald Dahl, who has very, very strong views on TV. So we see it first in Dahl's books, such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where he gives this poem. The most important thing we've learned 
so far as children are concerned, is never, never, never let them near your television set, or better still, just don't install the idiotic thing at all. In almost every house we've been, we've watched them gaping at the screen. They loll and slop and lounge about and stare until their eyes pop out. Last week in someone's place we saw a dozen eyeballs on the floor. And then in You Only Live Twice, we have this uh, from Blofeld, where he says, The firing power inside my crater is enough to annihilate a small army. You can watch it all on TV. It's the last program you'll ever see. I find it fascinating that Dahl was brought in to adapt those uh, those two Fleming screenplays. It wasn't uh, Fleming's final book. Of course, he was uh, partway through reviewing his final 007, The Man with a Golden Gun, that would be published on the 1st of April, 1965. And this book takes the story slightly beyond You Only Live Twice. Again, certain sections from that book were adapted for the most recent James Bond film, No Time to Die, which I very much appreciated seeing these these pieces used. It had never been adapted. I say in the 60s, they'd, they really were moving far away from using Fleming's original material. Perhaps it was too dark but I very much appreciated seeing them and seeing the depth that Ian Fleming could bring to these stories. I hope you enjoy that. The little, the little look, the James Bond location and the context in which it appears. Thank you very much for listening.